Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Mays, your host for tonight's show. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Tim Jacobs, and he'll be answering your most important questions on tying and fishing deer hair flies. The show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Tim a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. And while you're there, make sure you sign up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Just fill in your name and email address in the form on our homepage, and we'll keep you informed. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 48 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. The contents of this broadcast are copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc., doing business as Ask About Fly Fishing. Recordings or transcriptions of this program cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Tim Jacobs about tying and fishing deer hair flies. Baja Fly Fishing Company is dedicated to fulfilling your vacation dreams. And just so there's no mistake, they derive as much pleasure helping a novice improve as they do fishing with a pro. From the casual to the hardcore, they can match your expectations with their experience and coaching. A vacation with Baja Fly Fishing is more than a fishing trip. It's a full-on Baja experience that you will remember forever. They know the Baja after 40 years of traveling its back roads, kayaking its shorelines, surfing and snorkeling while pioneering the fly fishing techniques that have evolved into the tactics used today. They are well-versed in fly fishing the beach, in kayaks on pongas, and are well-versed in all tackle types. Join them in pursuit of roosterfish, dorado, marlin, sailfish, wahoo, jack creval, yellowfin, skipjack, and many other species. Learn more about Baja Fly Fishing Company by visiting their website at BajaFlyFish.com. That's BajaFlyFish.com. Before we introduce Tim, I'd like to let you know about the great prizes we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, we'll be giving away a one-year membership to the Fly Fishers International, and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. So you have two chances to win tonight in our drawing. Now, if you haven't registered yet for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is at askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Tim's section that says, click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link and fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. We'll also be giving away a copy of Tim's book, Tying and Fishing Deer Hair Flies, courtesy of Stackpole Books. And here's how you can win Tim's book must be the first person to answer the question we ask at the end of the show. This could be a two-part question as well, so just be forewarned. The question will be about something we talk about during the show, and you must submit your answer along with your name and location in the text box on our homepage, uh, the same place you can ask questions. And if you're the first person uh, to answer correctly, you'll win Tim's book. So listen closely and type fast when the time comes, and maybe you'll win Tim's book. Our guest tonight is Tim Jacobs. Tim is a native of Michigan, a fly fisherman and fly tire from the Roaring Fork Valley in Colorado. He works as an instructor at the Michigan Youth Trout Camp each summer and for Project Healing Waters in Colorado. Aside from published articles and numerous clinics he conducts, Tim is a Federation of Fly Fishers certified casting instructor who taught sage casting clinics during the 1990s. He is guided in the Steamboat Springs area in the Roaring Fork Valley. Tim is also a demonstration fly tire for Whiting Farms, Pro Team, and Regal Vice Pro Staff. Tim, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Thank you, Roger. It's good to be here. 
So you've left the beautiful state of Colorado and defected to Michigan, huh? Is that what happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do. I, I just really, for the time I, being, I right? <laughs> just for the summers. Just for the summers. I love it back here. I love the lakes and stuff. Not that I don't love Colorado in the summertime, too, but... But, yeah, yeah, I I would miss uh, not getting out into the lakes and seeing family and all that back here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got uh, many good memories. My grandfather had a house on the Menominee River up in the uh, – between Wisconsin and the UP um, up there. And uh, spent many, many hours on the rivers and lakes in that area. So I hear you. Much different than Colorado. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Fun yeah. times. Well, that, that's how I, I started fishing back here with my grandfather when I was a kid, right out of this very cabin that I'm sitting in today. So, you know, I've got a lot of memories and a lot of connections here. Well, how, how, how old is the cabin you're in? This cabin was built in 1950 uh, by my grandfather. Um, he actually, oh. uh, the stud walls, he lumbered off from his farm and had milled in a in a uh, local lumber mill, and he dried them and brought them, brought them up here. So the cabin's been around longer than I've been around. Um, wow. And I started, I started coming up here. Yeah, I, I really don't remember a summer not being here for at least a few weeks. When I was really actively guiding in Colorado when I was younger, um, I might only get here for a week or so. Um, but in the recent years, I've come for a – and because I was a teacher, I had my summers free – and so I've uh, I've spent a big part of my summers here for probably really the last 15 or 20 years. Yeah, yeah, nice, nice, yeah. Well, that's uh, sounds like an honest to goodness real cabin on the lake. What <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it it is. Yeah, many people what they call cabins nowadays, uh, you know, aren't in my mind a cabin, you know. The four thousand square foot uh, vaulted ceiling. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, no, we we, we, we have a few yeah. of those here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let's get into the questions here. Um, uh, lots of questions to go through. Phil in California, Kentucky, wrote in and he says, "In my youth, I found that fishing a muddler minnow was almost always a good choice on the waters I fished. I then found that fishing streamers tied with bucktail was also productive." What has made you enthusiastic about tying and fishing deer hair flies? Is it the great patterns that use deer hair, the nature of the material itself, or all of the above? Well, I think I, I got into tying deer hair um, really because I started warm water fishing. You know, my early fly fishing experience was trout fishing, um, and it was pretty much focused on trout, and it was actually here, right here at this cabin where I was I was uh, just casting for some bluegill one day with some little trout flies I had, and I happened to hook a bass, and I was like, oh, that was that was a lot of fun. And it was kind of early 80s, I guess, early, mid-80s when that happened. And about the same time, Dave Whitlock's book came out, um, the handbook of fly fishing uh, for bass. And uh, it kind of took me back to my youth with bass fishing. So I really started getting into the idea of, of warm water fishing, and uh, and so I, uh, I, as I started to get into that, I recognized that deer hair was a big component of that. Um, 
And so that's how I started working with material. And, and now today I just find it to be a very creative material to work with. I, you know, I tie lots of flies, but tying deer hair, there's something I find very just aesthetically pleasing about a really nicely sculpted deer hair bass bug. Plus they fish really well. Um, and so it's just a material I've really enjoyed using. Good, good, yeah. Yeah, it's always nice to know how, how people get started with something. And uh, um, the um, what we'll do here is we'll kind of work through some tools. We have questions about tools. We'll talk about materials, and then we'll talk about some challenges some people are having with uh, with, with tying itself. And um, and feel free to intermix anything in here about you know uh, you know when we start talking about the flies themselves what how you fish them, or you know, any tips you can give with that. But let, let's start out with the tools first. Dan in Abington, Illinois, wrote in, and he says, is it easier to use a rotary vise when working with deer hair? Um, you know, the regal vices that I tie on, um, are they're rotary, but they're not true rotary, in that uh, regal makes a true rotary vise. Personally, I don't see an advantage to doing a true rotary. You know, um, I, I do, though, want a, the feature of being able to turn the vise over to look at the bottom of the fly or to work on the bottom of the fly. So all of my vices rotate, um, but it, they're not a true rotary in the sense that, you know, you've got a vise where when you put your hook shank in, you rotate the vise and the hook shank, you know, stays straight as it rotates. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. So and what, what do you like about the Regal vices? You know, I when I was uh, when I started tying, I when I was tying on you know I guess less expensive vices, um, I had a lot of trouble. I was tying on the collet style vice, and uh, I kept cracking the collets because I was pulling these big hooks into them. And granted, they weren't the quality of collet style vices we have today. Um, I'm sure that the vices today, their those style would probably work fine, but. Um, the shop up in Steamboat Springs, I was kind of working at Straight Line Sports, and uh, and the guy, the owner there, had been one of the people who sort of taught me fly tying, and he suggested I jump into a Regal, and so I still have that Regal vice today. I could still be tying with it. It's, it's you know, the black is pretty much off from the vice now, but it still holds hooks with no problem, and I found them to be real durable. Um, of course, I'm tying with newer ones now, but... Really, that's one of the advantages, I think, of regal vices. There's no adjustment in them. You just grab the, the lever, pull it, pop the hook in, and let go and start tying a fly. Okay. So ease of use is, is primary. Ease of factor. use, I think, yeah. 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 Um, Thomas Murphy in Spokane, Washington, writes, uh, what tools would you start with and what should you wait until later well, I think, you know, the, your, your basic tying tools, um, you know, all your standards, the ones I think are specialized for deer hair are hair packing tool. I think that's a pretty essential. You should have that. What I would start, I think, as far as starting out, I'd start with a less expensive pair of scissors. Um, I use uh, Sologen, which are German scissors. Uh, they're a little more on the pricey side for tie, for fly tires, you know, um, I think they retail for around $40, $45, but um, Dr. Slick makes a really good pair, and there's other good scissors out there, but I don't know that I jumped into the real expensive scissors right away. Um, one of the things about deer hair is it does, you know, my, I, a pair of scissors will last through, like, 
of winter of tying. And by the end of that time, if I've done a lot of tying, they get pretty dull. And those scissors that you use, um, those are fly tying scissors? They're not used for other Yeah, they are. Sologens are. Okay. Yeah, Sologen is a company in Germany, and they, they do make it's a fly tying. It's actually a hair scissor that I use. Mm -hmm. And they're amazing scissors. They're incredibly sharp, and they hold their edge for a long time. Um, but they, like I said, they retail for a little more. I, I use Dr. Slick hair scissors for a long time. I think that's a really good pair of scissors. I think they're reasonably priced. And I think certainly jumping into deer hair for the first time, that would be a really acceptable pair of scissors to start with. Um, what, um, on the scissors, uh, I think in your book uh, I saw that you have like three different types of scissors. Can you explain why you have those three different types? Um, yeah, I have a short pair that I use for trout. One of the things I do is I don't use the same set of scissors for my trout flies as I do for my deer hair work. Um, I keep a really good sharp pair of fairly fine-tipped scissors to do my trout flies with, and that's the only thing I do with that. And then I have a separate pair of scissors that are for, um, for deer hair, and I have one pair that's straight and one pair that's curved. Um, and I for various applications, I find it helpful to have a curved pair of scissors that I use. Yeah, so those shape, are the three yeah. scissors I mentioned yeah. in the book, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the curve so that you can shape the bodies. Of, you uh, can, bodies. Yeah, you can shape bodies, yeah, especially if you're talking little hopper heads, that kind of thing. A lot of times I just scissor trim those. I don't worry about using a razor blade on those. So the curved scissors helps you give a, just helps you give a little curve. The other thing you do with a pair of curved scissors is you kind of, on a deer or bass bug, you can use the tips of the curve to, you know, cut out a little eye socket when you add eyes to your deer hair bass bugs. Okay. Okay. Good. Good tip. Um, Stefan Ellensburg, uh, Washington, asks, is there a tool available to, uh, to curve a straight razor when trimming? I often get a lopsided cut when I try to bend the blade. Yeah, good question. That's a good question. There are tools out there that will bend a razor blade. I don't use them. Um, and here's, I think, uh, and I tried to outline this in the book. Uh, with your, for each of the bass buffs, basically you have essentially three types of deer hair heads. You have a popping head, you have a diving head, and then you have some type of a waking head. Um, the popping head, one of the things I do is I – trim the bug. I always go to the bottom of the bug first, make sure you leave some hair on the bottom of the fly. Um, and then I take the fly and I look at point the eye of the hook at myself and I do a little reference cut on each side and I make sure to balance that so I've got an equal amount of hair. The cut is the equal distance from the shank of the hook on each side. And then I use that reference cut and I cut back along each side so I've made sure that um, that the sides are equidistant from the hook shank. And then I trim out the top. And basically what I end up creating is I create this little rectangular prism, like a little box of deer hair, and then I begin working on the edges. And I just hold the blade in my hand, and I by moving the blade in a curved path, that's how I put curves on my bugs. I don't try to curve. I've never – I've tried it a little bit, and I'm just – not real comfortable curving the blade, and that's not to say there aren't guys out there. I know good deer hair tires who do curve the blades and have great success with it. That's just not how I've ever done them. I've just done them by 
holding the straight blade and then just kind of working and sculpting. Um, and one of the one of the things too about it is when you get as you start to work on the bug, just you're, it's almost you're taking very little. The hair that ends up on the, the razor blade for me almost looks like um, uh, maybe a little more coarser than grains of sand, but they're very small. I'm just taking a little bit of hair at a time as I work my way into the fly. So I go slow and I keep checking my proportions as I go. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, so you've mentioned, um, you know, scissors, curved scissors as an important, you know, uh, tool that you might not have on your on your fly tying desk uh, normally. Um, uh, you mentioned hair stackers, um, razor blade. Now, um, what other tools uh, might you need for tying deer hair flies that you might not normally have on your bench? Uh, the only tool I can think of that is. Uh, I have a hot point tool. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, uh, it's just, you can yeah, find them in various fly shops. Yeah, um, I know uh, Enrico Puglisi, he uses them to create a little melted spot in his flies where he puts an eye, so I know he uses those. Um, there, I had, I was at a, I was at a show in Denver once, and I was using that tool, and a guy who was walking by me turned out to be a surgeon. And he mentioned that apparently, I guess these are, they're, I'm sure the ones they use in surgery are far more expensive, but apparently they're like a cauterizing tool. But what it does is you can create these very precise little sockets with them. However, it smells really bad. <laughs> You've got that burnt hair smell going. So, yeah. you know, if you're, if you got your fly tying room, you know, open your window, get a little fan going, or, you know, you might get in trouble. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah. they do, they do smell. Yeah, uh, but they do. Are they're really good at creating really nice little precise eye sockets. So uh, that, that's, but that's a purpose. very you can, yeah. And you know, for a long time, I used my curved blade scissors to create those eye sockets. So that tool is to me not a necessary tool. I think you can work around not having one of those. Um, but it is kind of nice a, to have. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Any particular cements or? Lacquers or anything? Oh, gosh. I Yeah, I go through. Okay, so, and I know we're going to get into materials later. Yeah, we're, um, we're moving there now, yeah. so. <laughs> okay, so, well, yeah. um, in, in my, if you look at my big deer hair bass bug, I have in there, let me think about this now, I have one, two, three, four different, uh, four different types of cement that I use. Uh, adhesives that I use in that, in that one. Um, I use Zapagap, uh, which is a pretty common fly tying glue. Um, it's a, like a super glue. You know, the minute you, you kind of take the air away from it, it's one of those instantly adhering glues. Um, I use that in a couple locations. One, I, I always start off my deer hair bass bugs by um, using a, a file and I just rough up the tie-in area for the tail a little bit and then I just brush that with a little bit of Zapagap and I wind my um, my nylon, wax nylon thread through that area. That just kind of helps anchor all those tailing materials there. And then I also use Zapagap uh, with gel spun threads and we'll probably talk in more detail about gel spuns later. But gel spuns are a real slippery thread and if you don't use Zapagap, it won't adhere to the hook. It's a very different type of thread, but it's excellent for spinning and working with deer hair. Um, I use a little Dave's Fleximet in a, a couple locations. I use it, uh, in, uh, 
when I finish the, when I'm getting ready to wrap the hackle around the tail, I'll put a little in just again to kind of help make that tail a little bit tougher. Uh, at the base of each of the bundles of hair, I use a cement called Flytite. It's a Michigan company, Flyright company here in Michigan that makes a glue that's a, it's a non-toxic and it seems to work real well with the gel spun. It just adds a little bit of, I think, durability to the fly. Um, although sometimes I forget to do it and the fly still fishes fine. And then, uh, finally, uh, when I finish the fly, I, um, I always finish the fly by coming back to my, because I've tied the deer hair body with a gel spun thread. I come back and then I can pick some colors with my wax nylon threads. And I always brush that with a little hard as nails, which is just a real common nail polish you can get it at the grocery store, you know, uh, Target's one of those kind of places. So, yeah, so I got a, there's a bunch of different glues that kind of serve different purposes that I use. And then for the eyes, for the eyes, I use goop. I guess how many, I didn't know, I didn't count how many was that, five or six? Uh, different <laughs> no, <cements>. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know, um, you know, some of them, I use Goop. I know I was, you know, I was acquainted with Chris Helm. The late Chris Helm, I think, was a brilliant, he, he was one of the deer hair guys. Um, and he used, uh, I forget what it was, it was a little harder one to find to put his eyes in. And goop is really easy to find. You can find it at any hardware store. And I've found it to always be, you know, a pretty compatible glue, and it does a pretty good job of holding the eyes onto the fly. Mm-hmm. So that's glues. Yeah, good, good. Well, let's take a quick break here, uh, Tim, and, um, and then we'll come right back and talk more about the materials uh, that you've been using. So hang with me, and we'll be right back. Looking for that shot at permit? Whipray Key Fishing Lodge in Belize is where you want to be. When you stay at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, you're on a private island and are only minutes away from the finest permit fishing in Belize. Whipray Key is just a 30-minute boat ride from Placencia. Once you're there, you'll be fishing Permit Alley, one of Belize's best fisheries, and you won't be taking long boat rides to get started. You'll fish with world-class guides like Daniel Cabral, whose family has fished the area for over 30 years. Want to switch it up and fish for tarpon and bonefish and make it a grand slam? They can make it happen at Whipray Key Fishing Lodge. Book your next adventure now. Visit WhipprayKeyFishingLodge.com. That's Whipray, C-A-Y-E, FishingLodge.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Tim Jacobs about tying and fishing deer hair flies. If you'd like to ask Tim a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use the Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. But Tim, at this point in my show, I always ask my guests, hey, what's going on in your fly fishing world? So tell me what's up on your end of things. Well, I just did, uh, down at Uncle Jake's Fly Shop in Battle Creek, Michigan, I did a fly tying demo at a book signing. It was actually my first one. I um, The book came out April 1st, and I I'm a retired teacher. I'm a math teacher, but I sort of keep getting pulled back in. I was actually doing a semester of teaching math, and so I didn't have a lot of free time through May 25th. Um, So this event last Wednesday night was my first event out doing a tying demo with the book. Um, So that was a lot of fun. Sunday, I am heading up to uh, the Ralph McMillan DNR Center just north of Higgins Lake, and we're going to be doing five days with the Michigan Youth Trout Unlimited Youth Fly Fishing and Conservation Camp. 
Um, and I, that's, I've been an instructor there, probably an instructor, counselor, um, you know, fishing guide there with the kids for probably, I'm thinking, close to 20 years. And it's all, it's, it's one of the things that I'm, uh, real passionate about. I, I love working with the kids. I was a middle school teacher, you know, as a career. So, you know, being around kids is, is, comes pretty natural. Um, and I love kind of melding that working with kids and fly fishing at camp every year. So it's it's one of the, the highlights of my summer. So I'm leaving Sunday to go up there, and we'll camp the last through Thursday. Um, I got an uh, email from David Klossmeyer at Fly Tire Magazine, and he invited me to do some writing for the magazine. So I'm going to be working on some articles for him. And I then this summer I'm working on an outline for – another book that I hope to publish. Can you so tell us kind of what it's going to be about? Uh, hopefully it's going to be, you know, this this book is titled Tying and Fishing Deer Hair Flies, but it's really, tying should be like in big caps and fishing, and so because really there's just a few little fishing stories in there. Um, I really want to delve into that fishing side of the warm water, warm water thing in more depth. Um, I didn't really do that. This book really focused on just the deer hair tying, and so um, I want to do uh, I want to do the kind of jump in and do a more in depth look at the fishing and some of the stuff I do, not just with deer hair flies. And I'm going to incorporate some again because this book was a deer hair book. Um, you know, everything in the book has got deer hair in it in some form or other, but that's not the only thing I tie with. So this next book will give me an opportunity to add some fly patterns using some other materials um, that I that I enjoy tying with as well. Oh, good. So, well, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Terrific. Good. Well, thanks for sharing. And um, let's talk more about the, the materials that you're using in your flies. Um, you had mentioned uh, just spun uh, thread. So tell us about that thread as far as using it for Tying deer hair flies. Gel spun thread, it's a very, if you get a spool of it, if you go to a flush shop and you feel spooled, it's a very slippery thread. But for a given diameter, it's a much stronger thread than uh, than your wax nylon threads that you normally use for tying. Um, and I just love it. I Chris Helm is the one who introduced me to it. Um, he, I was at a show tying, and he came and stopped by, and we visited, and he asked what I was, what thread I was using. At the time, I was using a size A rod winding thread, which is a little bit stronger than uh, the wax nylon trout threads and or tying threads. And uh, and he handed me a spool of it. I put it on my bobbin, and I put that first bundle of hair in, and I flared it, and I was sold. And so what I use is I use a very, like a, U, like a UTC, like a 75 denier for a little tiny trout head. Little, little heads, like on hoppers and bundlers. My standard thread I use is a 130 denier. That's what I use for just about all the rest of my deer hair thread, my deer hair flies, with the exception of really big ones. Um, if you look in the last chapter of the book, I tied a couple of really big pike musky flies. And when I do that, I jumped up to a 200 denier just because I'm putting a lot of deer hair on the fly at a time. Um, the thing about working with gel spun is where your zap gap comes in. You've got to start by brushing a little bit of zap where you're going to wrap the thread in to start the fly. And then at the end of the fly, when you've spun all your hair, 
you got to pull the thread out. Just put a little bit of zappa gap on the thread and then wind it into your hook shank, and then you can finish off and knot it, and the thread will stay in place. If you don't do that, the thread will slip and pull out. The fly will fall apart on you. But it's the quality of that thread, the strength of it, I've just found to be really good for working with deer hair. Um, I've tried Kevlar's. I find Kevlar to be a little bit too sharp. I know there are some guys out there that use Kevlar, and I imagine they just have a little better touch with it or something. I've found Kevlar is an awfully sharp thread uh, for deer hair. It's real easy to cut it. So I do like the gel spoons. And they're pretty readily available. Most of the fly shops, I know in Colorado, I don't have too much trouble finding it. Okay, okay. Um, we have several questions coming in on the Internet here. Uh, one, we're going to backtrack uh, to this, um, so I'm going to ask it now. Uh, Ed in, in Weston, Massachusetts asked, do you use a single-edge or double-edge razor for trimming? Double. And I just hold it, on the, I hold it on the end of the shank. If you're nervous about that, it's pretty easy to take a pair of long nose pliers and snap the blade so you're only working with one edge at a time. But I've always used double edge. I find them sharper. Single edge, it's hard to find. Like the single edge you get at the hardware stores for paint, uh, they're just simply not sharp enough to work to do what you want to do. Um, and fortunately, double edge seems to be making a comeback. I don't know. I, for a while, I thought they were going to go away, but I guess guys are starting to shave with single edge blades again or something. I don't know because you can find them a lot easier. Yeah, yeah, they're they're pretty easy to find and pretty inexpensive given how many you get in the yeah. So, yeah. 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 Okay. Good. Okay. Now, here's where we get into um, talking about, uh, as far as materials go, you know, the, the prime material of deer hair. Uh, we've got several questions about it. Let's start out with Thomas Murphy's question. Um, what are the key things to look for when buying deer hair? Well, I think, and this kind of goes, you know, first of all, it's selecting – one of the things that's great today is uh, fly tying material companies are really grading and packaging deer hair in a way that just wasn't there when I first started doing this. Um, basically, when you look for hair, there's three types of hair you're looking for. If you're doing little deer hair wings on your trout fly, you're typically looking for early season hair that's maybe about an inch long. What happens with deer as, they, as the hair grows, when they first start growing, you get really nice tips. So, you know, if you stack a little hair wing for a trout fly, you got nice even tips on that early season hair. As the hair grows, though, the tips get more straggly, so they don't really work as well for those wings. The next grade of hair that you find in fly shops is called all-purpose deer hair, um, and that's like mid-season. It's like about an inch to an inch and a half long. Um, and that's a great hair for doing hoppers, muddlers, those types of flies. Um, and then, of course, you've got your late-season hair, which is your spinning hair. Um, that's about two, two and a half inches long. You know, and for that hair, the, there's a few things to look for when you go to a and, – and I, I'll tell you, I'm not – I don't process hides. I'm not a guy – that you know, Chris Helm, I know, was really into – you know, he knew deer hair hides. But I, I'm not that guy. I buy my stuff at local shops and things. Um, but when you're looking for spinning hair, what you want to look for is you look at the shafts of the hair, and I think I've got some photos in the book that highlight this. You, there's a little crinkle in the shaft, and what that is is the hair is cellular. 
and, and that's the cellular nature of the hair. When you compress it with thread, that's why it flares. And so you're looking for that. And the other thing to is grab the piece of hair and just squeeze it. If it has a spongy feel, but you know that hair is going to flare really well. Um, but taking, like, for example, spinning hair and trying to create a tr little trout wing with it, it's just not going to look right. So you got to kind of grade that out to those three types of hair and match it to the type of fly that you're tying. Now, you said, um, I think you just said for the spinning hair, you're looking for the crinkle. Is that at the base of, of the hair? Yeah, as it, yeah, like yeah. That? And I, I know, if, yeah, if you look at the hair, it, you'll see it has a little crinkle to it. And what you're seeing are the air pockets that are in the hair. Um, and that typically, that it, sometimes it's not real apparent. I mean, you still got to kind of squeeze the hair. If you get a piece of hair, and this is really true if you're just grading through some patches of hair that haven't been labeled and stuff, but if you get a piece of hair that's really hard and flat, like you compress it, and it just doesn't have any give to it, it might be a great piece of hair for, like, little elk hair caddis or something, but it's not going to be a great piece of hair for spinning it. Another real good tell is you take the hair, you, you comb it out, you put it on the hook jank, you wrap your thread, and you go to pull on it, and it doesn't flare. If it doesn't flare, that's because it doesn't have any air pockets in it. Um, and so, yeah, you're looking for that softer feel to it, and you're looking to see the individual shafts of hair kind of have a little crinkle to them that kind of are a giveaway of those nice air pockets in there. Okay. So, also, you talked about early, mid, and late season. Can you explain that? Yeah. If you go into a fly shop and you see Comparadon hair, it's often labeled as Comparadon hair. Um, that is kind of early season. It's been harvested a little earlier in the year. It's typically about an inch long, and it's got really nice fine tips on it. Um, if you look at all the little uh, deer hair winged flies that I tied in the book, like the Comparaduns or Sparkle Duns, you know, that's real early season hair. That multi-purpose, a lot of times when you go into a fly shop, you'll see hair that will be labeled as all-purpose hair. It will be about an inch and a half long maybe um, and that's the hair that you could it's still got good tips on it so you get a nice collar like say you're tying a, a hopper it's still got good tips on it but the hair has developed enough that you're getting the flaring qualities of that hair that, that you're looking for to create a little oh. hopper head so we're talking when we're and talking then, early season and mid season late we're talking about when the when the deer actually was when the deer was harvested, harvested. yeah yeah yeah, yeah when so it's, the hair is and, growing and, longer as the season progresses, yeah, and uh, yeah, and also yeah. gets more air pockets for insulation, right? I, I, I believe that's the case. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a biologist, so I don't, I'm not an expert on all that, but I know that as you get the later season hair, the the individual shafts of hair get larger, a little bit larger, okay. and it seems to develop that flaring quality even yeah. more. Although I've had compared on hair that flares, you know, does a nice little flared wing. So it's not that okay. the early season hair doesn't flare. Right, right. Good. Okay. Um, so, and then Joe asks another question from Thornton, Colorado. He says, what part of the deer does the best spinning hair come from? Do you use different parts of the deer for different types of flies? Boy, you know, that's a great question. And I, <laughs> you know, like I told you, I don't process high. Uh, you know, that's not what I do. I think uh, it's the hair that comes along the flanks of the of the animal are probably where the deer hair comes from that I'm using the most. 
but I rely on companies like Nature Spirit and Wapsie to deliver my hair to me. <laughs> um, okay. And so I, I, you know, I don't know, you know, I know what I'm really good at is I walk into a fly shop and I can look at deer hair and I know what it's going to do. I can look at it, pick it. I know what purpose I'm, you know, what I'm picking it for. And I can grab it and go, but I work with processed materials. I I don't process any of my own materials. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah. So um, I did notice though that I think on one of your flies, I remember in the recipe it mentioned uh, white belly hair. So that kind of caught my eye. Yes. Okay. That boy, you, you got to be a Midwestern guy to know about that <laughs> in a way. Um, white belly hair comes off white-tailed deer. There's not a lot of it on each each deer, and it is back in this part of the world that I'm in right now, um, if you walk into just about any fly shop and you look at your Robert's Drakes or a lot of your hex patterns, your brown drake patterns, those kind, you'll see this white belly hair um, that come off the white-tailed deer used as a deer hair wing. And you've got to, it's not, it is not, you can get bleached spinning hair that's pretty white, it's not that. This is a natural white belly hair that comes from white-tailed deers back here. And, um, you know, you get little patches of it. Your only place I use it is for the wings for my, for some of my larger drake patterns that I fish back here in the Midwest. And the, the fly shops back here have it and know about it. Um, I think it would have, and I have fished, I've, I've fished, uh, uh, back in the book, I've got a green drake, a Robert Drake. A Robert Drake is a real classic pattern back here in Michigan. It's been around a long time, and um, I found some sort of some chartreuse deer hair, and I tied a few Robert Drakes only for our green drake hatch on the frying pan, and they work really well. And I used a white belly deer hair wing for it, and the fish took it with no problem. But that's a material that's a real specialty material that's really just used for wings. Okay. Okay. Good. Um, need to take another quick break here, but when we come back, we'll, we'll dig into to, uh, deer hair uh, even more. So stick with me, folks. Watermaster is dedicated to providing their customers with the highest quality inflatables on the market, as well as an unbeatable customer service and product support. They are best known for their signature products, the Watermaster Grizzly and Kodiak Rafts. These rafts are lightweight, compact, durable, versatile, and safe. The Watermaster rafts are everything your personal watercraft should be. They have been used by anglers and hunters all over the world for over 15 years, including Dave Whitlock, one of fly fishing's greatest innovators. Dave said, with my Watermaster, I can enjoy more fishing per hour than any other method I have ever tried. After two and a half years of testing 15 models of kickboats, I'm convinced that the Watermaster is the ultimate personal flotation craft for warm and cold water fly fishing. Visit Watermaster today and take a look at the ultimate personal flotation craft. Go to BigSkyInflatables.com. That's BigSkyInflatables.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Tim Jacobs about tying and fishing deer hair flies. If you'd like to ask Tim a question, just go to our homepage at AskAboutFlyFishing.com and use that Q&A text box to send us your question. We'll receive your question immediately, and we will try to answer as many of them as we can on the show tonight. And let me just uh, check in on that, Tim, to see if we've got anything uh, uh, happening there. Okay, we've got a few questions. I'm going to try to mix these in where it makes sense in our conversation. So I will come back to that in just a sec. Um, let's see. Thomas Murphy again. Tom sent in 
quite a few questions here. That's great. Thanks, Thomas. Uh, how does dyeing impact the hair, and thus the choice of which piece you buy? Um, boy, that's a good question. Again, you know, since I don't process materials, you know, I don't really know. I do know this. Um, I think you do have to – I've seen pieces of hair that have been dyed. I don't know if they weren't from companies that – the hair got pretty brittle and dry, so I do think there's a, there is a way of dyeing hair properly to create fly tying materials. You know, like I said, I you know since I don't process materials, um, you know most I'll, I think all the hair I use in the book was either Nature Spirit or Wapsy. Those guys have got it down. I mean, they know how to dye deer hair um, and still have it be you know a really good material for tying with. If you're going to try dyeing your own hair, boy, I'm trying to think. Um, you know, I, you'd certainly have to you'd have to do a little research on it, because I do believe yeah. dyeing will impact the hair. But you know, if you want to dye your own, I just have never done it. I've you know, I've always you know purchased hair from fly shops. Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, nowadays you know, trying to dye stuff would be quite the ordeal. I think. Um, I yeah. know. Uh, just trying to find it. Uh, trying to remember who wrote the book, but there was a book written yes. on dyeing feathers. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, Colorado Colorado Fly Tire. Right? Are we talking? I know. I was trying yeah. to pull up the name of the, the book. He did a book on dyeing materials, dyeing and yeah. preparing materials. Yeah. I, um, I mean, oh, Oh, darn. Well, it'll come to me in a minute, and I'll, I'll remember it. But, yeah, I don't know if it was just feathers or if it was uh, uh, fur as well or hair. Uh, so I don't know. We'll, we'll have to come back to that. Um, okay. Uh, hey, uh, uh, I, so, I, I have it. AK oh, Beth. okay. AK Beth, right. AK Beth. AK Beth did, uh, and I don't know why that name should have come to me because he's a well-known Colorado tire. He's, oh, yeah. He's an outstanding tire. But, yes, he did a he did a book on uh, – on tying and preparing materials, which might be a resource for somebody who wanted to try that. Yeah. Yeah, do you remember if he did uh, anything on, on hair, or was it? Uh, I don't know. I actually do own the book, uh, but it's been a long time since I've opened it up. I mean, I have, I have a fairly extensive fishing library. Yeah, um, I, I do have his book. Cause I, yeah, yeah I, I do have his book in my library, but it's been a long time since I cracked it open. Yeah, it says here, a comprehensive guide to color control and fly tying from dyeing and bleaching to melding, fur dubbing. Uh, so that gives you a brief description. But, yeah, you can probably yeah. go out and, and read more about it on uh, Amazon and check it out. But, uh, yeah, that's the only book yeah. that I remember having dealt with that. Yes. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, I think you've kind of addressed Tim's question that we got in here. Again, it was about how to select. You've pretty much yeah. described three three areas, uh, you know, three types of hair that we want to look at. And I, I would guess, like you said, too, just check it out. Make sure it's supple and and not all dried yeah. out and breaks when you try to bend it and stuff like that. I mean, kind of the obvious thing. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I tried to do. I tried to do. I have uh, when I in the book. Um, 
I have the section, the, the part of it that's on deer hair, selecting deer hair. I think I went through just about all the stuff we just talked about. Um, and okay. I tried to kind of all the things I've talked about, I know I've included in the book. Okay. Uh, now here's a here's another question you may not be able to answer, but we'll, we'll throw it out there. Um, Kathy uh, Crossland in Raleigh, North Carolina asks, is there a difference between buck and doe here, hair in terms of tying flies? The buck often lives longer than the doe in some parts of the country for a variety of reasons. Um, is the, the male hair superior, in your opinion? If so, for what reasons? Wow. <laughs> That's one of the more interesting questions I've ever gotten. I have never thought about that. <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't tell you if... Uh, if I grab a piece of hair, I have no clue if it is. Uh, yeah. Now, I will say this. With elk, you get cow elk. That's labeled cow elk. Uh, but with deer, I don't know. The only thing I would say is I'm assuming, and I don't know this, but I'm assuming most of the hides come from, you know, because guys go deer hunting and they take their deer and they have them butchered and, you know, they don't want the hides. I'm assuming and I'm not a deer hare. I'm not a deer hunter. But yeah. Normally, I think, don't we hunt bucks normally? And don't you have to have a special doe license to go hunt doe? Um, I don't know. But as far yeah. as the quality, yeah, I don't know. The quality of the hair, I have no idea. I could not even begin to tell you if I pulled a piece of hair out of a fly tie yeah. place and looked at it, if it came from a male or female deer. I would not know. Well, Kathy, yeah. maybe that's the question you should pose to, like, Nature Spirit or Wapsi. Um you know, yeah, on, they would you know be, how yeah. they source that, and it'd be an interesting question to get answered for sure. Uh, yeah, it would, but yeah. that's probably uh, where to go. Um, okay, uh, okay, I think we've pretty much answered Ed's question on which is the best hair for spinning heads and collars, and what is best for trout wings or for trout flies. So I think we covered that as well. Uh, oh, here's one: Stuart Van Dorn in Chicago area says, "If you have no choice." Can you spin bucktail, uh, you know, like if you were a 1,000 miles from the nearest fly shop and a goat had eaten your last piece of deer hair, could you spin uh, yeah. uh, uh, bucktail, or is there any kind of synthetic hair you could use? Uh, bucktail, if you get right at the base of the tail, um, that hair sometimes will flare and spin a little bit. It's pretty coarse, but it will spin. You get further up into the tail, and you lose that nature, that cellular nature that allows the hair to flare. But if you get down, I've had bucktail down at the base of the hair, base of the tail that will flare. I don't know of any synthetic materials because synthetic materials, for the most part, are solid materials. Um, and I am unaware of any synthetic materials that will flare and behave the way deer hair does. Okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um and then what other materials uh, do you find useful in, in tying your deer hair flies, uh, be, besides the deer hair, of course, uh, that, that you tend to use you know, more often? Well, one of the things I, I to deer hair of, flies. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, if you're talking best bugs, um, one yeah. of the things I really try to work into my flies is a lot of texture and movement into the fly, which is one of the reasons why if you look at, I think, one of the things that I do is that's somewhat unique is I make use of, of course, and I'm on Whiting's protein, so I have access to a lot of really great Whiting products. I use a material called um, bird fur, which is a very marabou-like feather, but it's not like 
turkey marabou where you have a real blunt tip. It really tapers nicely. It's got some, and you can see it if you look at the deer hair bass bug. Um, that when I tie the tail, that's the material I start with. Um, and then the feathers, I think, give a lot of movement. I try to work in legs um, uh, to give the fly a lot of movement. So when I tie a fly from a fishing standpoint, I'm looking to get some type of material that's that. Because a lot of times when I fish these things, and, and you know, with the lakes, that, especially the lakes here in Clare County, are real clear water lakes um, where I'm at. And I will cast the bass bug out to shore just tighten up on it, and all I do is just twitch it. I mean, I just give it the slightest move, but I got a tight line on it. And this is not unusual. You know, you got that image of bass just doing the big explosion on bass bugs. I mean, that does happen, but I've seen them come racing down the shore. They'll put the brakes on, come right up, put their nose right up under the fly and look at it. And then all of a sudden they'll just go, and it'll be gone. And then you set your hook, and then you've got the explosion. I think the reason that they look at it and eat it is because of all those materials. They're naturally moving. That thing looks alive in the water. Um, it looks like something that's alive that they want to eat. So when I tie my flies, that's one of the things I'm working on is to get a lot of materials in the fly that um, will give the fly a lot of texture and movement in the water. Um, and so I guess that's, you know, feathers, the legs, those are other materials that I use. Um, I don't know that that can I answer that question? I'm not sure if it did, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, bird fur is one of those materials, and um, yep. any synthetics that you're using for that? Well, the flash, the flash material flash. that I use. And I've tied waking patterns, you know, little... Uh, the pattern, the, the waking little shad minnow-type patterns that are, you know, that I've tied, that I put in the book, um, I tied those with synthetics like Puglisi fiber synthetic type materials, and they work just fine. Um, you know, rather than some of the street natural streamer hairs I used, um, you know, you could substitute some different materials in there. And I would say, and the other thing too is be creative. I mean, that's one of the great things about warm water fly tying um, is that, you know, there's a lot of materials out there, and you can kind of be creative in what you work into your flies and use. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, let's talk talk more about uh, the tying aspect of things. Thomas uh, in Spokanigan asks, uh, what are the best flies to start working with deer hair? So if you just haven't tried this before and you're just getting started, what what would you suggest one try first? Well, here's, you know, I when I first started tying deer hair, I would tie my tails on, and then I'd spin this deer hair head, and it would be ugly. And I tossed it. I had a jar sitting next to my thing, and I tossed it in the jar. Funny one day I was looking at the jar. It was a quart jar, and it was about half full of flies. And I suddenly hit me, why am I wasting all this tailing material when I can't spin the deer hair heads? So one of the things that I encourage people to do when I've done tying demos and shows and stuff is buy a patch of hair that will cost you, you know, three, four bucks. Get yourself some gel spun thread and a little zappa gap and a few hooks and just start spinning hair with no expectation of actually having a fly. Um, just try the deer hair techniques. Try doing just a flare. Like, say you want to do a hopper head. Well, take some hair, comb it out, stack it, get your nice, you know, get a nice collar going, put the hair on the on the hook, 
put a couple wraps of thread, flare it in place, and let go and see what it looks like. Then you can play with trimming them. One of the nice things about doing that is you take away a lot of the frustration of these ugly flies that you had in your head. You had in your head, oh, I'm going to tie this really great fly. And the fly ends up, and you wasted tailing materials. I would just go through, and I'll tell you this, if you take one patch of hair and you go through that patch and you flare and spin that whole patch trying some of the different techniques, by the time you've used up that patch, then go back and start tying flies. And if you want to tie, I'd start with something simple. Like, I love Latorte hoppers. I mean, they're, that's an old, um, that's an old Ed Shank pattern, but I still fish them a lot and they're great and they just, all they require, there's three materials. There's a dub body, a little turkey wing, and then a little spun deer hair head on it. And it's a simple fly to tie and you just trim out your head with your scissors and go fish it and then work from there on to your more complex flies, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Good. But that's yeah. what I would do. I'd practice. I'd start by practicing. Yeah, yeah. It just doesn't come come around the first time you try it, huh? <laughs> it no, takes, it, it, it uh, doesn't, but, you know, it, it can happen fast. Um, I had a, I have a friend in Colorado who I used to sit with him at the shows, um, Jason Goodall, who is a, an amazing deer hair tire. He doesn't tie much now. He's busy with his family. But he wanted to start doing some deer hair. And so he, we started exchanging emails. And I would say after the show, within just a couple months, uh, he was doing amazing deer hair flies. So I think it's just a matter of, you know, if you really want to do this, just put the time in and practice. And if you got the right materials and the right kind of hair, I think you can get there pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first time when I was a kid and, and used deer hair and, and, and spun it. I thought that was so cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. when it spun out, I go, "Wow, that's really neat." You wow. Know, uh, it was it was just kind of an exciting moment of making something work like that because uh, it's yeah. kind of unexpected. You know, considering all the other materials you use, you know, that don't do that. But um, yeah, um, it is. It's it's a totally unique material. I mean, yeah. there really isn't any, you know, you can, when you talk about your streamer hairs or dubbings and all that, there's a lot of different things out there. But deer hair is deer hair. It's, it's really the only thing that does what it does. Yeah, yeah. Um, we did have, let me, I'm going to backtrack a little bit because uh, we have a question from Ed in Western Mass come in on the Internet. Uh, he says, what do you look for when buying a bucktail, and does dyeing affect the quality? We talked about the dyeing before, but we didn't really talk about bucktails um, as far as uh, looking or grading those. Anything we should look for there? I length of hair, of the individual hair, and, and, and judge that with the size flies you're tying. You know, if, you tie, if you're tying a little small, some of the kind of traditional bucktail patterns, which are really cool, um, you know, you can have bucktails that have shorter hair. Finding bucktail that has really long hair, you probably got to paw through a few and find them. Like I'm talking hair that's getting up to be three inches, maybe even four inches long for big musky flies and stuff. Um, you know, I think the the guys that are tying those flies now um, really, you know, the, a lot of those guys are using those type of bucktails, and I don't know, I don't know that I find them, but that's what I do when I go look for a bucktail, I just basically am looking at the length of the tail. I've got a whole bin of bucktail at home 
and I just kind of grade them out to what size fly I'm tying. Other than that, yeah. the quality of the hair, the quality, I don't notice a lot of difference. I don't come across the bucktail that, because bucktail doesn't flare. Um, okay. Yeah. And I've never come across the bucktail that oh, this is just not a good, not a good hair. You know, it's just more the length yeah. that you're looking for. Yeah. 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 Um, Ed posed another question here online. Uh, what is the best way to control deer hair from flaring when tying, for example, a streamer wing? Uh, I've tried loose first wraps and then tightening wraps, but it still gets gets flaring. I'm not sure I understand. Is he trying? Is he that we say he's, he's trying, trying uh, to do a flared? No, no, he's trying to tie. I think he's probably using bucktail to tie a streamer wing. He's saying, and uh, oh, oh, uh, oh, he's oh, getting flare on the end. Uh, well, when he's it, tying it on. Okay, if you look, you know, one of the things I do is I tend to I measure cut and put the put it on the hook shank. Most of the time, sometimes I tie material on, but with my bucktails, if you notice, if you look at the way I do it, I don't stack the wing, lay it on the fly, and then tie it, and then try to trim the butts. I measure it, I trim the ends, then I put it on the fly, and I'll put a couple good tight wraps in there, and then if I'm concerned about that hair slipping out of the thread, I just put a little quick bit of zap-a-gap on the thread itself, and then do a couple wraps to tighten up onto the bucktail with that zappa gap and I've never the, the flies are durable I've never had an issue with it um, and that way I keep the heads a lot neater and I don't have that issue of the the hair flaring up in front of the thread so you cut it to the the, the length you want it and then you don't yeah. let it flare basically in the way that you're tying it on well you're you're tying you're tying when you've if you can imagine, you know, you lay the, the butts of the bucktail down, you're tying, a, you know, maybe a couple millimeters behind those, right. the butts that have been pre-cut. They're all cut straight. And if you yeah. do like a thread wrap, tighten up on it, and then, like I said, if you're concerned that that's not enough material there, um, that the the pattern, that the, the hair is going to slip out if you add a little zappa gap, what I found by laying the hair in and then wrapping the thread and then lifting the butts and trimming them is I lose control of my head. Suddenly I've got this really huge head that I, you know, I mean, not that it will fish well, but just from an aesthetic point, I guess I don't like that. I like having a little neater head on my bucktails. But the yeah. way to get it is to measure, cut, and then put it tied yeah. in place. Great, great. Um, Craig in Portland uh asks, I've seen many fly tires use deer instead of elk for elk hair caddis. What are the advantages and disadvantages of using deer hair instead of elk for this fly? I think the only real difference is and uh, is elk, you know, little elk might not flare quite as much, so your wing might stay a little more contained, whereas deer hair might flare a little more. But I don't know that that's a problem. If your deer hair wing flares a little bit more than you want it to, you can always come back right behind the tie-in point and just add a little wrap of thread to kind of gather the wing in a little more if you want. Um, but I think you can tie elk hair caddis with either deer or elk. Um, I don't think would it, you get, it matters um, that much. But I think elk doesn't flare the, as much. Would you get finer tips with the, the deer hair, you know, for smaller flies? You know, both. Both 
Well, it depends on how early season your elk is. I've got a piece of elk that I use for my elk hair caddis that has that the hair is only about an inch long. So it was, uh, must have been a very early season animal that they got. Um, and it was just labeled elk, but it was a nice piece yeah. that I found at a shop, and I bought it with the specific idea of tying elk hair caddis with it. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, what tips can you give about uh, posting a, a dry fly wing? You know, keep the thread wraps right at the base of the wing. Well, I will say this, and if you want to talk gear here, um, one of the things you want to do with posting a deer hair wing is you don't want to wrap too far up the wing because you start gathering material together. You know, unlike a synthetic wing, you know, like if you're doing a poly wing, little poly wing parachute, um, you know, you can just pull the poly up and post, and it doesn't really impact the material. You can post it quite a ways up the material. If you post too far up a deer hair wing, um, you kind of gather the material. The wing doesn't flare quite the way you would want it to. Um, so I would just do two or three wraps, and I would keep it right at the base of the wing so that wing flares out to create a nice wing profile. Do you put a, a little cement there as well? Not on my trout flies, no. I, no. In fact, my trout flies, I, I rarely use any cements on my trout flies, especially my small trout flies. I tend to just thread them. I mean, the thing is that it's, a, it, you know, a little uh, comparadon or a little, no, you know, no hackle or something, you know, what it, it, it's, you know, you catch a few fish on them, but it's not a pattern that, you know, I mean, you want them durable, but, you know, you're not yeah. going to fish one pattern all day. So I don't use any I don't use any glues at all on my on my all my little dry flies and stuff. Yeah. Um, uh, are there any advantages to tying a, a hopper pattern with with uh, hair rather than using foam? Not really. Foam's a lot easier to use, and I there's there's guys out there that tie beautiful foam hoppers that are great patterns. Yeah. Um, you know, I, the, the, if you look at the Dave Hopper, I did a foam, I did a sort of a wrap foam body on that, which is kind of a, a little different way to do it. Um, but it still had a deer hair head on it. But no, I don't think there's probably any advantages. I, I yeah. think, you know, the foam, I think foam tends to be a little easier to work with. I, I've tied foam patterns as well. Um, yeah, I think when I, the first you know, hoppers came out, they, they, you know, foam wasn't one of the materials people were using back then, you know, like, no, well, shank, no. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no. They were, that material wasn't around. or was, right. Maybe it was around, I don't know, but yeah. Uh, again, what tips do you have for tying bucktails? Uh, uh, we already talked about uh, selecting, but uh, any yeah. simpler tips there? Not Nothing other than what we talked about. Um, you know, I think selecting the, you know, finding the right length bucktail for the fly you're tying. Um, and then I do, you know, it's just my personal preference, but I do like measuring and cutting just to kind of keep the heads nice and neat. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, beyond that, um, I can't think of too much. Yeah, um, and then there's a, I'll throw this one in here. Um, Joe from the Internet again, uh, Joe Herndon asks, what saltwater pattern would you recommend for a deer here novice? Are most of the saltwater patterns uh, streamers, so to speak, or are there popping plugs, you know, uh Well, you know, um, 
I have a young friend of mine who's actually the son of a high school classmate of mine who guides out in New Orleans, and he he was telling me that he's using, like, Dahlberg-style divers for redfish in New Orleans. I've not done oh. it. I would love to go do it. I haven't done it yet. Um, I had a friend of mine send me a, a deer tarpon fly that was a deer hair head fly. Um, it was... I'm trying to remember it. It was a little bit like a, well, you know, a conehead Madonna. I don't know if you're familiar with that pattern, but it, it's got a cone in the front, of it, but they flare, flares a little deer hair in behind it, but the hair doesn't function as a, it's more the wing that, than the deer hair head itself, I think, is the function of the hair being on the fly. Um, and this pattern was a little bit like that. You know, I'm not, I've just, I've saltwater fished a little bit, but I'm, I'm not enough of a saltwater guy to re- really be, you know, in the know on all the patterns that are going on in that, in that world um, and what they're using, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, another question. I understand that preparing deer hair for spinning is very important. What steps do you take to prepare the hair for spinning? Well, you're, you're doing really well. Hair. Yeah. Well, one of the things to always do is when you take the hair off the hide, always put your scissors right against the hide and take don't cut the hair part way up and leave hair behind, no matter what size fly you're tying. Um, if you want a fly to float, which normally that's what you're after when you do deer hair, you want to comb up because deer has an underfur in it as well as the hair. There's also an underfur. And so combing out that underfur um, just helps to clean the hair up. Um, and then, depending on what you're doing, if you're going to do a collar, take the hair, put it in a stacker, and you stack it. And then when I pull it up, before I put it on the fly, I always trim the butts even. Uh, I just The head then just it has a little more even look for it for trimming. I don't leave those butts ragged. When I'm not doing uh, using the tips of the hair, I take the hair, and I hold it in my thumb and forefinger, and I trim the tips, and I trim the butts. So I've got an even little bundle of hair. Um, And here's another tip I'll give you. If you find hair that has a lot of taper in it, sometimes if you're tying bass bugs, um, and you say you're doing a spot on the top of it, and the spot ends up getting a real teardrop shape to it, it's because the, the the hair you put in there had a lot of taper to it. So if you want, and the fish don't care, by the way, if your spots are teardrop-shaped or perfectly oval, but if you want that perfectly oval shape, just take about half the hair, flip it over, and put it back together so you intermix the, the tapers and you've got a more even bunch of hair. Um, and here's the other thing since, we're, since I've talked about. Hair tends to distribute itself evenly around the hook shank. So if you're trying one of these big deer hair heads and the hair, you find the top color is bleeding into the bottom, it's because you put more hair on top of the fly than you put on the bottom of the fly. And if you don't want that, you've got to then stack some hair in the bottom to kind of balance the fly out. Mm, Okay. Good tips. Yeah, good tips. Um, And let's see here. Uh, um, You know, you just gave... Thomas, some of those tips here. And Thomas asks, what, what are the tricks or keys to spun deer hair once you start to progress? I mean, moving along to more advanced tying 
I guess is what he's talking. He says, I know practice, yeah. but are there any tips to going, getting going uh, as you advance? Yeah, I would just, you know, like look at your, like I said, you know, looking at your taper and how that affects and just remembering that the hair distributes itself around the hook shank. Yeah, and I, I suppose that becomes really important, Tim, when you're doing your multicolored things where you're trying to create patterns and so forth. Then it gets pretty yeah. tricky, doesn't it? Well, and it does, and it really depends, too, on sometimes what I'm doing with the fly. You know, I, I get pretty particular about it. Sometimes I get a, asked to do a fly for, like, a shadow box or something. Um, right. Well, then I'm going to be pretty particular about the hair. If I'm just knocking out flies to go throw it, at the fish, at the bass, um, you know, they're not too particular, really. <laughs> you know, in fact, a lot of the stuff I do, we do with our deer or bass bugs, we do for us more than for fishing, you know. Yeah. I, I think you could probably just spin a bunch of hair on a hook and do a quick scissor trim and go chug it in the water, and you'll probably catch bass. You know, I know you will. Yeah, actually, they're not, but. you're not trying to really match the hatch with bass. Huh? It's that, no. You said that no. movement, that making it look alive, yeah. that's most important. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's absolutely uh, right. Kenny in St. Louis writes, uh, when tying uh, slash spinning deer hair on, on the hook, I have difficulty spinning the hair if I have added lead weight prior to the hook shank for weight. Uh, do you have any tips to spin deer hair on the hook shank if other than thread on the shank uh, exists like lead weight? Well, yeah, what I'd do if you got lead weight is I'd wrap it with thread. And then what I'd do is don't try to rotate the hair. Don't try to lay the hair on top and try to make it rotate to the bottom. I would place it where you want it, hold it in place, put two wraps of thread on it, and flare it so it sits right where you want it. You know, like say you're doing a deer hair belly, just put your hair, if you, especially if you've got a vice you can rotate, just lay the hair in the bottom of the hook shank, two wraps of thread, flare it in place, rotate your, rotate your, your uh, vice back up, lay the hair on top, two wraps of thread, um, flare it in place, and then move on to your next bunch or add stacks or colors or whatever you're doing. Right, so don't spin it, just place it, basically. Is what you're Try doing. not to spin it, just place it and flare it. That's yeah. what I do, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, Martin Coleman in Glenwood Springs. Um, you're part of the country in college, hey. right? My hometown, um, yeah. Well, I live out. Yeah. I live in Newcastle, which is a little bit west of there, but I taught in Glenwood yeah. Springs. Your, your cell phone says Glenwood Springs. <laughs> it, yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, he says, Tim, can you talk a little bit about placing deer hair for designs and trimming techniques? It's kind of what you were just talking about. Any, anything further you want to add to that? Well, yeah, if, if you – and that's the thing in the book. Uh, you know, poppers um, – the biggest one is doing, say, doing a Dahlberg diver. Um, when I do a Dahlberg diver, I put hair in the bottom of the hook, put hair on the top of the hook. But I then, in that first bunch of hair, that first stack, I add hair at a 45-degree angle on the top side on each side because I want some extra hair there to create the diving collar. Um, and if you just try to do a you just stack the hair like you would for a popper. What you find is you don't have a lot of hair there to create a really good diving collar. So that's one. I mean, if you, that's one consideration when you're doing a Dahlberg style fly um, to add hair there. If I do like the, if you look at the really big patterns at the end of the book, 
Um, I added a lot of hair on the bottom of the hook shank as well as on the top just because the hair, like I said, distributed itself, and a lot of that top hair would have bled around to the sides. So if you're doing a big deer hair hat, you know, you got to, as you stack hair, you got to occasionally come underneath and stack a bunch underneath to try to keep your belly color going. Um, other than that, you know, I did, did kind of, again, you know, the, in the book, I try to be pretty specific about the three styles of heads and how much hair I use. If you're doing a waking head, which tends to be more tapered, you don't have to use as much hair. And you can just put one stack on the top and bottom. So, yeah, you do modify a little bit depending on the style of head you're trimming. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, let's see here. We... Oh, uh, this is a question. Do you need to use specific proportions to get bass poppers to work correctly? Is there a balance thing there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, in fact, I have a little sidebar in there. The biggest thing you have to do is you have to leave some deer hair on the bottom of the hook shank. Um, A lot of times when you go into fly shops, you see commercially tied bass bucks. You'll see they trim them real flat and right tight to the hook shank. And what will happen with those flies is because you start out, it's fine, because the top of the head is real buoyant and light. But as you fish a deer hair fly, it soaks up water. And eventually the top of the fly will outweigh the bend of the hook if you don't have any hair underneath the hook shank. So when I trim out my heads, um, I leave uh, my popper heads, and I even try to do this on my divers, I try to leave about a third at least a quarter to maybe a third of a hook gape of hair underneath the hook shank. But what I'll do is I'll slope that upwards as it goes back towards the point of the hook just because you want to open up the hook gape so you can hook the fish. Um, but, yeah, there's a sidebar in there where I give all the proportions for a popping buck. Um, Dahlberg divers are real tricky. you got to do the same with a Dahlberg. You need to leave some hair underneath the hook shank. You don't want to trim it right flat. I've I've had a lot of trouble with Dahlbergs wanting to flip over on their backs, and it's because uh, the top ends up outweighing the bottom of the fly. So there is quite a bit to that uh, balance. Yeah. Shape yeah, and, and I tried to go into that. Yeah, I tried to go into that in the book and to try to get the hair because you want the fly to you know want the fly to fish well. You know. Um, yeah. So yeah, there is some. The main thing is just remember that you got to leave some hair on the bottom of the hook shank. If you look at, uh, for example, Joe Messenger's bucktail frog, that's a really old pattern. You know, you'll see he's got hair in the bottom of the hook shank, and I'm assuming, I don't know, but I'm assuming one of the reasons he did that was so the fly would land upright when he cast it out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I see here that uh, our next question was about trimming for the Dahlberg divers, so, uh, uh, so hopefully that was answered there. Um, Martin Coleman in Glenwood Springs asked another question. How does hair type and volume affect the action of a deer fly? Well, yeah, density of hair. You know, I've seen tires who create hair hair that's really, really dense, and which is really cool. I mean, it looks great. The, my density is, I would say my hair, my bass bugs sort of are up medium high density i mean but i want the hair if you look at closely at my hair box you'll see there's a little space you know between the hair and that's just a matter of getting something when the fish grabs it it feels you know um pretty soft and real to them um 
and I don't know, density is just one of those things you got to play with. You get density by stacking here, not by packing here. And okay. then I guess you just, you know, kind of got to play with your density and decide what you want, how dense you want it to be. I don't know if that's yeah. addressing that question or not. Well, that's, yeah, that's kind of a tough one uh, to answer, I think. Uh, Martin also asked another question. Uh, what are your top three bass deer hair flies and uh, top three trout deer hair flies? Um, well, and I, he's from Glenwood Springs, right? Yeah. <laughs> Martin is? Yeah. Roaring yeah, Fork. Okay. So, uh, frying pan. <laughs> the Roaring Fork. Okay, I'm going to tell you what. A, uh, the Green Drake Sparkle Dunn is just, I mean, I... In fact, I'll be back there in August, and I'm planning on getting up on the pan and taking advantage of those green drakes. That green drake sparkle done has just been a go-to pattern. Um, that would be one of my top deer hair flies. I also fish a lot of uh, terrestrials. I mean, the frying pan's a great terrestrial river. I don't know how many guys fish it in the summer, but, you know, you get through the hatches, you get a nice breezy afternoon, you know, pull out little hoppers or crickets or ants and, and catch a lot of fish. Um so certainly hopper patterns, cricket patterns. Actually, cricket is nothing but a hopper, but tall, tight, and black. Um, my favorite deer hair bass bug is that feather-tailed bass bug that I tied in the book. I, I really like that pattern. It's what I, I fish it here at Lake George probably 80% of the time. I tend to be a topwater guy. <laughs> i got to go fishless for a while before I'll finally kind of concede the point and do something different. Um, and that's both trout fishing with my dry flies and topwater fishing with my bass. Um, but just that basic bass bug. And then, I mean, you've got basically your three bass types of bass bugs. You've got Dahlberg diver style. There's a Tim England style diver that I did in the book, too. Tim England is another Colorado guy who is, well, he's the guy who started, I mean, in a way, um, not directly, but uh, that, that article that I cited in 1985, his deer hair flies are kind of what got me going in this direction, or one of the things that got me going in this direction. Um, yeah. But, you know, he, he's got a very unique diver that I did. Um, and then uh, just waking patterns. I mean, those are kind of your three basic heads, you know. You could do lots of other stuff. You do pencil poppers, but that's still a popping head. It's just you know, a little elongated yeah. body rather than a more compact body. Yeah, yeah. So. Okay, well, we got to finish it up. We do have a couple more. We have one more question on the Internet. Uh, Camillo Santana in uh, Western Massachusetts. Uh, he asks, uh, hey, Tim, when tying smaller flies, undersized 18, what is the best trick for controlling the deer hair on smaller hooks? Whoa, boy, if you're trying to tie size 18, like little comparadons or something, that's that's hard to do. Um, here would be my suggestion. If you're going smaller than 18, go use synthetics. Don't struggle with, first of all, trying to find deer hair that has fine enough tips for flies that small is really difficult. Yeah. Um, you know, really, my, my all my little sparkle duns, comparadons, all those little hair wing patterns, I tie down to 16, maybe a few 18s, but when I start getting smaller than that, I switch over and use synthetic materials just because they're so much easier to use for really tiny flies. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, and then Rudy Brown in Valencia, California. Um, that's kind of weird here. I've got big planes flying over my head here. That usually means forest fire around here, so. 
If they're flying low and they sound big, that's unusual for this area. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's been a dry summer in Colorado so far. So, uh, Rudy, oh, I know. we've been. Yeah, go. No, I'm dry out there yeah, too. We've been seeing it on the, the news. No, it's not dry oh, yeah. here, but I've been watching yeah. the news, so we're aware. Yeah, yes. yeah. Um, Rudy Brown, uh, he says, I'm a volunteer with the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. Every year we hold Trout Fest at Hop Creek Hatchery in Mammoth, California, where kids get to fish the raceways. Last year I built a catch-and-release box to revive fish once caught uh, rather than harvesting them on a stringer. This year I want to add catching fish with deer hair spun fly that looks like fish food pellets. <laughs> Uh, interested in your <laughs> advice on tying these flies? Uh, you know, I used to do a, a, a colleague of mine, and I used to have a fly fishing club at school, and uh, he managed a branch that had big rainbow trout in it that got fished a lot of fish pellets. So we would take the kids out there, and uh, we would actually tie some pellet flies, and uh, oh, you and did. would always catch fish. <laughs> I did. But I didn't do spun deer hair, to be honest with you. You could certainly, if you got brown deer hair, you could do a great little spun deer hair pellet fly. Um, but the truth is you could just do a little foam and put a marker, make it the right color, and that's what we used yeah. to do for the kids. They were little foam patterns. We didn't spin deer hair for them. I did try a spun deer hair mulberry for the carp back here in Michigan, um, and I haven't really fished it a lot. But I would – you could certainly get some brown deer hair and go for it, you know, spin yeah, a little pellet fly. Right. But, yeah. but foam works pretty well for that, too, because we did the same thing with kids, you know. Th throw the pellet fly out, scatter a couple pellets around it, and tell them to hold on because they're going to catch a fish. Yeah, yeah, good. Um, one final question. Uh, do you have any tips on managing the mess one makes when tying deer hair flies? <laughs> <laughs> do it somewhere where you're out of the traffic of your family. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. You can, you can always tell at a fly show where I've been tying without ever having to look at any name tags because it's the place that there's just an explosion of material stuff laying around. Yeah. Um, no, I don't. It's just, it goes with <laughs> territory, you know? Um, okay. Yeah. Okay, good. Uh, well, we got to wrap this up, um, but... When we return, we're going to give away a one-year membership to Fly Fishers International and a one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal, where you'll be having some articles shortly, right, uh, Tim? Yep. And um, we will also be giving away a copy of Tim's book, Tying and Fishing Deer Hair Flies, courtesy of Stackpole Books. Find out more about what Stackpole has to offer. Go to stackpolebooks.com, and you can see all the books that they publish there. So uh, check that out. And uh, Tim's book is also available on Amazon, I take it, Tim, right? Yes, it is. For a copy. So yep. if you don't win his book tonight, then you can find it on Amazon. Um, what can't you find on Amazon nowadays? <laughs> uh, yeah. Not much. So uh, stick with me, and we'll be right back to give away these prizes. The Bristol Bay region of southwest Alaska is home to the largest runs of wild salmon on the planet and some of the best trophy rainbow trout fishing found anywhere. Pebble mine still remains a threat to the region, and 2 million acres of federal lands may also be at risk. The entire fly fishing industry has united in this epic conservation battle. Anglers, 
from across the country are joining the fight. Be one of them. Visit SaveBristolBay.org, and there you can learn more about how you can get involved and help out. So again, SaveBristolBay.org. Uh, we are going to give away the prizes now. Uh, just a reminder to everyone before we do this, before you leave the website tonight, please leave it, take a minute and leave us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our home page in the section under tonight's show that says, what did you think of the show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. We'd really appreciate it. So now it's time to give away the prizes. Uh, if the winners for our drawings are randomly selected from the show's registration database. If you didn't register for tonight's show, it's too late, but make sure you do so for our next show. Uh, you don't want to miss out on uh, your chance to win one of these great prizes. Um, if you are the lucky winner, we'll contact you after the show to, to get the information we need from you so that we can uh, get the prize you win to you. So um, let's do our first drawing for Five Fishers International, uh, one-year membership to that organization, which is a great organization to be part of. And uh, our, let me fire up my database here do the random drawing, and it's Dave Dudek uh, from Ohio. Dave Dudek from Ohio, congratulations on that membership, and um, I know you'll enjoy it and enjoy being part of that organization. And uh, we'll now do the drawing for the one-year subscription to Fly Fishing and Tying Journal. And for more information about that publication, plus other books and, and periodicals, go to amatobooks.com amatobooks.com. So thanks to Amato for providing this, this subscription. And our winner is Terry Wittorp from Michigan. Terry Wittorp from Michigan. So uh, congratulations, Terry, on uh, winning that uh, subscription. So, and now what we'll do is we will give away uh, Tim's book, uh, Tying and, and Fishing Deer Hair Flies. And uh, this is going to be a two-part question. Um, and the way that you answer this is on the form on our home page. So just fill in the answer there, plus your name and location. And uh, then we'll, uh, the first person that answers it correctly, we will uh, give the book to. And the question is, uh, it's a two-part question. Uh, Tim talked about a particular type of thread he uses for tying deer hair flies. And there is another element to using that thread that you must use to be successful. What is that other component that goes along with that, that type of thread? So we need the type of thread and the other component that, that's used in tying that thread on the hook. So uh, that's our question. And now, Tim, we wait. <laughs> and I uh, keep researching okay. the queue here, and we see if uh, we've got some good note takers and listeners out there and see if we can't find ourselves a winner here. Um, so takes a bit for these to come in and uh, and uh, and get an answer here um, and uh, let's see looks like looks like we have Joyce Deming in Golden Colorado it says gel spun and zap a uh, gap glue is that correct Tim that's correct. She got it. That's it. So Joyce Deming, uh, congratulations, Golden, Colorado. Uh, we got a few bass ponds around uh, <laughs> Colorado too. Not as many as Michigan, but uh, but anyway, Joyce, congratulations on winning that book. And uh, Joyce, what you need to do is 
send me your uh, shipping address so we can get that shipped to you from uh, Stackpole. Uh, you can put it in the same text box you just answered the question in, or send it to info at askaboutflyfishing.com, info at askaboutflyfishing.com. So either way, I'll get it, and then we'll get that book sent off to you, and uh, I know you'll enjoy it. Uh, happy tying. <laughs> well, Tim, hey, I really appreciate you being on the show tonight and taking time out of your vacation <laughs> to talk to us and share your, your knowledge. Uh, we truly do appreciate it. Well, thank you very much for asking me. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Uh, hopefully all of you have found the archive on our website, and if you haven't yet, uh, there are a couple links on it on our homepage and at the bottom of every page. Uh, in the archive, you'll find over 275 shows that we've done over the past, what, 12 years now. Um, so uh, search by keyword or keyword phrase, you know, trout, tarpon, bass, bugs, whatever you want, and, um, and you'll probably find some information, some shows on that. Go and explore. I think you'll be pleasantly surprised when you, when you search around. Um, our next broadcast will be on July 11th, 7 p.m. Mountain, 9 p.m. Eastern. Not sure who our guest will be then, so I can't announce it now, but watch our homepage and look for the emails, and uh, we'll let you know who that's going to be once we get that confirmed. And we'd like to thank the Fly Fishers International, Amato Books, Stackpole Books, Whipray Key Fishing Lodge, Watermaster, and Baja Fly Fishing Company for sponsoring our show tonight. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com and make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. Thanks for listening to Ask About Fly Fishing. We hope you enjoyed the show. That's it. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.